broadcasting from Portland, Oregon. It's Somalia Refugees with your host, Jack Amon. Yana Tolman. Lauren Beebe. And Adrian Holloway. And in our program, we have a discussion about one of the poorest countries in the world and why people are deciding to leave it. From a Somali refugee to PhD student and book writer, Hamsi Warfa has been through many life-changing events that has shaped who he has become now. Hamsi Warfa is an immigrant from Somalia's country's capital, Mogadishu. Growing up, he was financially better off than the boys he played soccer with within Mogadishu. His father, Mohammed, was a livestock trader and his mother, Hinsa, ran a clothing retail business. Together, they had a private driver who took care of their needs and their other 14 children, including Warfa, the 12th born a luxury many Somalian families didn't have at the time. When Civil War broke, when Civil War broke out in 1991, Warfa's family luxury lifestyle disappeared. After armed forces ousted the military government of President Mohammed Assad Bier, the country collapsed into anarchy. Killing, looting, and rape became to define Mogadishu. After escaping a refugee camp in Kenya, that our family was faced with many series of misery for three years. After three years of scarce lifestyle, they were re- relocated to Denver, Colorado in 1994, thanks to the Church World Series. After shortly arriving in Colorado within, in with his family members, Warfa started to attend a high school in Denver. He struggled to keep up with the American culture, but he didn't know, or sorry, he didn't know enough English to ask or to know about the types of food that the school served, so he quite often didn't eat there for more than a month. He also felt isolated most of the time and unwanted. He says, quote, We didn't feel welcome. As much as the school administration tried, we still felt lonely and out of place. His family was new to the U.S., so running expenses were challenging for his family. The first time he heard the word interview was when he was being called from McDonald's, and the manager asked him why he wanted to work there, and he said that he needed money. After that, he got the job. As time went by, they left where they lived and moved to San Diego, which now has the largest Somalian population. His family rented two adjacent apartments in the City Heights, and he attended Carfield High School. He often would see fights break out between African-American and Somali students, and sometimes more than 100 people would be involved with these fights. Many more obstacles would later come up, but his desire to become a more valuable member of the Somalian country or community um, pushed him to become who he is. He would later get his bachelor's degree in political science in San Diego State University and his master's of science organizational management and leadership from college Spring or from Springfield College. And in the end, he would later start pursuing his PhD in administration at Hamline University and works at Eden Prairie Base, Margaret A. Philanthropies, and is serving as a program officer. From Portland, Oregon, it's Somali refugees. I'm Yana Tomit. Today on our program, we have the history of one of the poorest countries in the world. Why are people leaving the country? Stay with us. Did you know that Somalia is the only country in the world that does not possess a central form of government? According to the United Nations, each day, more than 30,000 human beings are forced to leave their original countries. Between 1990 and 2015, the total number of people born in Somalia but living outside the country more than doubled. Somali is located in the Horn of Africa. Most Somalis speak Arabic and Somali, 
and are Muslims of the Sunni sect. Somalia is one of the poorest countries, and many gains made during the years after independence were lost in the destruction brought about by the civil war in the 1990s. Decades of civil hostilities have virtually destroyed Somali Somalia's economy and infrastructure and split the country into areas under the rule of various entities. However, in 2000, individuals have begun to help rebuild cities through independent businesses. Among the factors hindering economic development is lack of decent transportation. The country has no railroads, only one airline, and a few paved roads. Financial assistance from the United States helped improve Somalia's major seaports and international airport during the 1980s. Telecommunication systems were largely destroyed during the Civil War. However, in 1999, independent businessmen in some towns established satellite telephone systems and electricity. Families repatriated to Somalia from the Dab refugee complex in Kenya say they feel abandoned and let down by the UN after officials used small cash payments to encourage them to return home, where a hunger and security crisis awaited. Many drove back to Somalia only to find themselves in a far worse position than they had been in a refugee camp with no access to, to food, shelter or medicines. Having lost the legal refugee status by crossing the border, they were no longer entitled to any help. Around one, 150,000 Somalis, both refugees and non-refugees, live in the United States, according to UN estimates from 2015. More Somalis live in Minnesota than any other state. When the civil war in Somalia broke out in 1991, millions fled to refugee camps. Two years later, the first wave of Somali refugees were sent to Minnesota. But why Minnesota? Being so cold, it doesn't seem congruent, said Nasarian, a Somali refugee. He says there are two reasons why so many Somalis immigrate to Minnesota. One is jobs. He said, if you come here as a refugee and there's job opportunities, it doesn't really matter if it's in the middle of nowhere. The, reason, the second reason is resources. Nasarian states, Minnesota is a super liberal state. They have, they have the whole history of accepting refugees from initially Vietnam and then the Hmong and then the Bosnian crisis. So they have this whole infrastructure set up already in terms of non-profit agencies and NGOs, where their primary purpose is resettling refugees. Furthermore, Minnesota has very active voluntary agencies that agree to help the refugees get settled, to learn English, find housing, get healthcare, and begin a new life. In the end, more than half of all refugees in the world come from Syria, Afghanistan, and Somalia. Somalis are fleeing one of the worst droughts and famine. With no functioning government, clan wars that have lasted for decades and a deadly terrorist group commanding big parts of the country, Somalia has been often described as a failed state. The 1991 collapse of the then Somali government and the civil war resulted in hundreds of thousands of refugees. This is Lauren Beebe, and I'll be talking about the current events happening around the Somali immigrants.
About 85,700 Somalis live in the U.S. today, around 25,000 of whom live in Minnesota, both refugees and non-refugees. The U.S. began accepting refugees from Somali in 1993 after the country's government collapsed and amid a regional civil war that had broken out along with famine. Many were resettled in Minneapolis and Minnesota. Recently, President Trump's reversal of many long-standing immigration policies was bound to impact the Somali immigrants, which is one of the largest African immigrant communities in the U.S. According to Kim Hunter, an immigration lawyer in Minnesota, the Trump administration put a great deal of pressure on the Somali, the Somali to start, yeah, sorry, the Somali to start accepting deportees. Hunter, who was two clients who were due for deportation, said in an interview with, and as with. So many ex- actions by the current government, this has a gen- generated a lot of confusion and fear. This was happening because over the past few years, Somali immigrants w- have become the microsome of immigrant immigration debate in the U.S. The impact of this has caused Trump to threaten even deport Somali immigrants. Another news outlet I read reports that Minnesota's Somali communities have been especially marked in a domestic front of the global war on terrorism. The federal law enforcement agencies have tabbed the Somali Muslims in the Twin Cities for special surveillance programs to lower the rate of terrorism since 2011, with little to no success. According to author Nazarian, a man who witnessed the famine that killed more than a quarter of a million Somalis and forced others to leave, radicalization and terrorism are real things that affect the community. But we're talking about 30,000 people, Nazarian stressed. The average person, they're not going to go home and talk about radicalization with their friends. They're going to go home and talk and talking about, what am I going to do tomorrow? What classes am I going to take next semester? You know, things that people talk about. This may have started uh, with a few examples of terrorism that have occurred in the U.S. that has brought concern for the safety of others. About two months after Nazarian arrived in Minneapolis, six young Somalis from the area were arrested, according to federal federal prosecutors, the men had planned to sneak into Syria and join the ISIS terrorist group. Also, last last September, a 22-year-old Somali was shot dead after stabbing 10 people at a mall in a city about 60 miles outside of Minneapolis. This is significant because it has caused people to fear the Somali immigrants, even though there are many, many more people who would never think to cause harm to others. Ultimately, one might conclude that this that these actions may cause federal law enforcement agencies to also watch and monitor immigrants uh, groups, which may possibly even affect the privacy and safety of these immigrants. It may also cause immigration overall to be limited and allowing less people to come to the U.S. Somalia has made many contributions to the world as a whole and to the country itself. Today I will be focusing on the contributions of a group of individuals who have helped um, the Somali people. Dr. Abi and her group of doctors started a small clinic on Dr. Abi's farm. Now they run a hospital with 400 beds, an accompanying school, and a nutrition center. Approximately 2 million people have been assisted by Dr. Abi's facility since 1983. Immigrants from Somali enrich the world by con- contributing to helping those who need help and showing us that even in war-torn countries, people will always prevail.
Dr. Abi is a doctor that grew up in Somalia and have grown up and has grown up around sickness and has done something about it. She started with a small clinic and has grown to something more than anyone could ever imagine. Um, she and her daughters have been helping people for years and they are not going to stop. Another person who has been helping is um, Edna um, Adon. Is, she's a daughter of a prominent Somali medical doctor. doctor. She was trained as a nurse in the United Kingdom in the mid-1980s, and she began building a hospital in Malgasu. But the Somali Civil War began, and she fled the country. She worked for the World Health Organization for around a decade before returning to Somalia in the late 1990s. In 2002, she founded the nonprofit um, Edna Amand University Hospital, through which she trained many healthcare professionals and made notable strides in the fight against um, maternal mortality. Um, even in the war-torn country of Somalia, many people can still help can still be shown to help. Because of these doctors, more people have been healthy enough to come to the United States and not stay in the war-torn Somalia. As these two stories demonstrate that Somalia may be war-torn, but that doesn't mean that there are not people who try to help. Thanks for listening to Somali Refugees with Yana, Lauren, and Jack. If you like our show and want to know more, go to anchor.fm slash check 733. Join us for our next episode.